Welcome to The Pet Perspective. On this episode, I'm joined by Hannah Grice, a well-known clinical animal behaviorist, and she's going to be giving us the lowdown on separation anxiety in dogs. Is it real? And what can we do about it? Thank you for joining me today, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to getting into this topic. It's a topic that lots of pet owners and pet parents struggle with. And we hear this term separation anxiety kind of thrown about quite a lot by dog owners, don't we? Can we start off then by digging a little bit into that? What exactly do pet owners mean when they talk about separation anxiety and how can we better understand it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And if I may, I'd like to just step back a little bit first and explain in brief canine anxiety. And that's because anxiety results in intense, often irrational or persistent worry or fear about everyday situations. So when we hear the term separation anxiety, it's often used as an umbrella term by owners or even some of the clinical animal behaviorists to describe a range of separation-related behaviors when the dog's alone. So, for example, you may have a dog that barks when they're home alone, but that could be triggered by frustration where he might see other people passing by the window, for example. Or um, the dog may have a noise phobia. So let's say they hear a particular sound like rain and that then triggers panic. For some dogs, they may be destructive when they're home alone, but that might not be anxiety related. It could be just boredom where they lack that all-important daily mental and physical stimulation. And then if you think about raiding the bins, that could be hunger-driven. And where we've got a dog that may pee or poop inside the house, that could be because of their age. They might be just simply too young or even quite old or unwell, so they're unable to hold on to that urine or feces. Alternatively, it could be a panic response or serving some sort of communicative function. So put it this way, I pee or poo and my owner can find their way home. And that peeing and pooing inside could also be panic inducing. So the actual leaving of the owner from the house has then triggered digestive issues that's resulted in diarrhea or even in some cases vomiting. So when you come home, you see the dogs pooped or thrown up. So in short, lots of reasons why separation-related problems can occur. But if you think about most dogs, typically they're highly sociable. They like human company. They want to be around us. Now, that's not surprising when you think about they were the first animals ever domesticated. And then when you look at research, it suggests that hypersocial dogs carry gene variants that were deleted in humans. This is linked to Williams syndrome. Now, Williams syndrome is characterized in humans by various features, including the tendency to love everyone. So if data suggests that we've bred this behavioral syndrome into dogs, consider factors then like the dog's age, environment, learning experiences, that's all going to contribute to potentially these separation-related problems. For example, young puppies and dogs, most at risk at developing separation-related issues where they've never experienced being alone or being alone hasn't been normalized. That's kind of breaking my heart. 
So I've basically, I've, I've made my dog love everybody. And, and now he wheezes in the house just so I can find my way home again. <laughs> my, my dog, certainly when he was younger, he, he did start weeing in the house when I left. Oh, uh, on the sofa, particularly, I think, because the sofa smelled of me. And to think that he's doing that so I can find my way back is kind of a little heartbreaking. Yeah, it could be. Or it could be just to cover the smell of whatever was there beforehand. We just don't know. Yes, maybe just doesn't like my perfume or something. <laughs> Who knows? But is 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 separation related problems then a better term than anxiety? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're talking about a range of behaviours that occur when the human isn't around, then I think separation-related problems is more appropriate. But if we're talking specifically about dogs panicking when the human's left, even though there may be another dog present or, you know, this to me is separation anxiety rather than isolation distress. And the latter isolation distress is all about when the humans left and they're panicking, but, you know, they don't panic when another human is present. So, you know, it might be the owner's left, but the dog sitters there and the dog's fine. Or in some cases, dogs might be placated by another dog being present. So isolation is distress is just panicking when there's nothing around, no one around versus separation anxiety, which tends to be the fact that the owner's gone and the dog's still not placated, whether there's someone else there or not. And that's why it's not a cure-all to get another dog if owners suspect there might be a separation-related problem because it's not addressing for the fact that these underlying emotions may be different and they do vary from case to case. That's a really interesting distinction to make, actually, and and important that owners can't just assume that getting another dog or even getting a cat will, will fix the problem. So say then I think that my dog might be having some separation-related problems or, or isolation distress. I can't obviously see when I'm not there what's going on or what might be triggering them. So how can I find out what's actually going on? What would you recommend? Well, the simplest way is through video monitoring. And most of us nowadays have like a digital device. So we can use a smartphone or a spare tablet, even an old handset that might be in a drawer, charge it up, hook it up to the Wi-Fi, and then you can play it over to your live handset through uh, things like WhatsApp or Zoom or FaceTime or Skype yourself. And I like that because it gives you a a real-time measure, like a live stream of what's happening. Now, if you don't have that functionality, you can just hit record and replay the video when you come back. But there are nowadays dog monitoring cameras as well. They're a bit more costly, but it means that the owner can be alerted on their device, whether they're at home or uh, somebody else's home, I should say, or at work. Uh, So if the dog makes a sound or if there's any movement, it usually alerts and then they can see what's going on at home. But If you're not very technical, (laughs) there are uh, other ways around it, and that's simply sneaking out your house without your dog, seeing you kind of peeking into the window or literally getting to a point where you can hear the dog, and that will give you a measure of what else is going on. 
interestingly enough, there is higher tech devices out there that also can help, and that's thermal imaging. Now, most donors don't have that sort of equipment, but what's great when we're looking at that used from a clinical animal behavior perspective is that when there's stress, body temperatures change, and that can give us a real indication of is the dog panicking or is the dog barking because next door's dog is barking. So that can really help identify whether we've got an anxiety-related issue. The other thing that owners can do is just talk to their neighbours. That's really helpful to understand that when you're out, is Fido pacing about? Do they hear him scratching? Do they hear him vocalising? And most neighbours won't necessarily tell the owners if there's a problem for fear of coming across as meddling or um, not wanting to kind of make the owner feel upset because it can be really gutting to know that your pet's distressed when you're not there. I remember when I first started leaving Soot alone and I didn't have a cam. I now have a dog cam, which I check obsessively if it's on. So sometimes I have to actually leave it off just so I can <laughs> go out and enjoy myself. But before I had a cam and I would, I um, set my computer up at home with, uh, with Zoom on or something. And then I took my phone out and was speaking into my phone to my dog. Um, and I must have looked crazy. But I think when you're in those early stages of training, you just have to forget what the neighbor's might think of you (laughs) and just do your thing. Yeah. And I think you've just made a really good point there as well, because there is the risk when we do have dog monitoring cameras that we can become obsessive. So when we do have owners going through the treatment plan for this, you know, it is advisable to sort of not look at it 24 seven, otherwise it can be upsetting. And of course, when we're going through a proper treatment plan, we never put the dog under that sort of pressure anyway. So separation anxiety, it can obviously cause quite a lot of emotional distress for the dog and for the owner if they know it's it's going on. But can this separation-related distress have a physical impact on the dog as well? Can it affect their physical health? Yeah, absolutely, just like us humans. So we know there's psychological consequences, but there is data, I should say, to suggest that there's physiological changes too. So, you know, similarities to us are disturbed sleep, uh, stomach ulcers, vomiting, hair loss. You may get some dogs, I've had cases where they're self-harming. There may be injuries where they're trying to escape out of the property or where they're having a fit of destruction. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's some dogs that will pee or poop like soot, you know, when they're home alone. And that might be in Reduced by the panic or to create some sort of scent communication to reunite owners. So that's a physiological response that we're seeing there. And stress, particularly long-term stress, where any separation-related problems haven't been treated, you know, the long-term risk is heart and kidney issues, even reproductive disorders. And it can also increase likelihood for aggressive responses. So I have had cases where dogs have redirected aggression onto the other animal where they've been in a state of frustration or anxiety or panic. So therefore, when the owner's left, we've got to think about the health, safety and welfare of any other animals that are present in the home, not just the individual that's being affected. That's a really, really important point. And has there been an increase, do you think, in these separation-related problems since the pandemic? We know a lot of people got puppies in the pandemic, an estimated 2.5 million dogs, and everyone was working from home, and people are starting to go back to work. Has this resulted in an increase in dogs that are stressed out 
when they're left alone? Again, I think that's a really good question. And what I would say is the issue of separation-related problems or separation anxiety, if we're going to use the umbrella term, it's always been there. I think there was a lot more focus and awareness in the press about it uh, because there was that risk of owners being home for prolonged periods. So puppies becoming young dogs become even young adults, not used to having that home alone time. And therefore, it increased the risk of it happening. But then having said that, I had a lot of clients come to me virtually because we weren't allowed to meet uh, during the lockdowns. And they did marvelously at still introducing controlled setups to being left alone to give that puppy confidence and independence, which is critical, and also successfully socializing that puppy despite us not being allowed to have visitors, despite us not being able to have puppy classes and those sort of stuff. So I think it was really down to the individuals. Personally, yeah, I dealt dealt with it a lot over the last two years. I don't think it's looking at my case numbers, any significant rise. I just think there's greater awareness. And that's the really good thing is that people know there's help out there. Is it called hyper attachment? Am I getting that right? When a dog is kind of fixated on their owner or, or is hyper attached, quote unquote, to their owner, are they more likely to suffer from separation related problems? And if yes, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So if we just describe what it would look like first, hyper-attached dogs tend to be the ones that want to constantly seek proximity to the individual. So you go for a pee, the dog's by your feet. The dog looks asleep. You walk in to make a cuppa, suddenly it's jumped up and the dog's following you around. You may see the dog when you're watching telly placing their paw on the owner or trying to snuggle right up close, which is lovely, don't get me wrong. You know, they may even frequently paw or nudge that owner too. We may also see that dog vocalize when that particular special person has left the house, even though other members of the family are still home. Or you might see the dog just pace around a bit or sit near the exit, entry exit of the home, kind of waiting, as it were, for mum or dad to come back. And then you could even see stereotypic behaviours. So what I mean by that is things like chasing their tail or gnawing at themselves or excessive licking as a way to kind of pacify themselves, make themselves feel better. And, you know, all of these stress-induced behaviours, as I said, could still happen even if someone else is in the home and they're trying to placate the dog, the dog's just not interested. However, when you see that special person come back, you may see the dog jump up, excessive greetings, even vocalizations, running desperately to go and find something to put in their mouth and present to you. You might even have jumping up or grabbing at the owner, lots of body wiggling and panting, and in some cases might even urinate when they're being petted. And I would say that some dogs are more prone to developing hyperattachment depending on their learning experience experiences. And certainly there's data to suggest there's predisposing factors that play a role like breed, size and gender. 
But then also environmental factors can have some bearing. So, you know, whether the dog is spayed or neutered, family status. So what I mean by that is whether it's a female single owner versus, you know, a married couple with children. And then looking at the owner's age and even, believe it or not, where they're living. So rural settings versus urban settings, all of these factors can influence attachment levels. And that will then have some bearing on uh, that bond. So as you can see, we've got this real interplay of nature and nurture coming together here. That's absolutely fascinating. And I'm side-eyeing Soot, who's lying here, chilling out in the corner, because lots of those things were ringing bells. I can't remember the last time I went into another room and didn't have a little (laughs) pitter-patter of feet following me everywhere. And it's really interesting to hear that that breed and even things like location and, and owner demographics can have an impact on that. I might have to have a little deep dive into that myself. So I guess the best thing to do always is to prevent this ever becoming a problem in the first place. We'll get a li- in a little while we'll get into what if it is already a problem my dog already has this kind of anxieties. But first, I've got a new puppy, imagine. How can I stop that puppy ever being stressed or anxious spending time alone? Yeah, I mean, there's loads of things that we can do. And the most important thing is establishing stable routines and teaching puppy independence. And that comes from the get-go that we get puppy. And really importantly, we need to avoid punishment-based methods. So what I mean by that is shouting, uh, for example, if they've toileted inside or they've pulled out the trash. And certainly we want to avoid going down the route of anti-bark collars. So these are collars that may spray citronella or air into the dog's face when they vocalize or even shock you know, that may interrupt the barking, but it doesn't do anything to change the emotional state. And similarly, you know, you still get people advising, let the puppy cry out. And you wouldn't want to do that because lots of data is now available to suggest that, you know, this does increase stress and anxiety. And therefore, we can unwittingly make matters worse when we're going down those routes to seek what I call a quick fix. So, how do we reduce the likelihood of problem behaviors developing in the first place is teaching that independence. And this can be done first by creating a really comfortable kind of bed zone area. So I kind of call it a chill out space. And you can help create that chill out space with not only a cozy bed, but having some sort of room divider or baby gate, utilizing a crate, but making sure we crate train first if we're going down that route. And then anytime puppy is kind of venturing towards that space, you'd be rewarding puppy because what gets rewarded increases likelihood of the behavior being repeated. And the aim really is to build duration of them being on that super cozy bed in their special place. But you need to burn off some puppy energy first because if they're in a heightened state, that's the worst thing you can do. So once they're burned off the energy and they're nice and calm, get them settled with a super tasty uh, food enrichment toy. So there's loads of stuff nowadays like Licky Mac and all sorts that you can freeze and they can settle down, lick and chew, and that releases kind of happy hormones that helps with settling. And, you know, when they're feeling sleepy, take them to that space. You know, everything lovely that the puppy enjoys, like being gently stroked and using kind of baby talk, which we know from fMRI scanners, that sparks the little reward center. So they like it when we talk in that mother tone. And 
having built duration of puppy being in that space, the next step is to get them used to alone time in that space. So when you're at the point that puppy is napping happily in that area or settled with their, you know, food enrichment toys, we now have a new aim. And that new aim is increasing time bursts of where they can't see you. So your disappearances. And in the early days and weeks, we're talking seconds. And we really need to resist the urge to rush that process. It's very tempting, but that's where your video monitoring, which we talked about earlier, is super helpful because you can see how puppy is coping at every stage as you're starting to stretch out the time that puppy's alone. And this is called departure training. And it really does require the owner to make time, dedicated time to frequently practice leaving puppy alone for these short controlled setups to get to the point where puppy learns that the owner disappearing is of no great significance. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm getting flashbacks to Soot being a, a, a puppy when I was doing exactly the same. You know, I'd go out of the room and stand there for, for 30 seconds. And if, if he was still on his bed, then I'd go back in and not make too much of a big fuss, but, you know, reward the calm behavior and then try it again longer and longer times. It's not a full-time job quite, but it's definitely a job, isn't it? And it requires a lot of consistency. And it's not necessarily, I found, a linear process. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point because some days you may be able to scoot out of that room or that house for one minute and you're looking at your video thinking, yeah, we've got to 60 seconds and, you know, you practice again and you might get to 10 seconds and the puppy's going, huh, where are you? Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why owners get into a pickle because they're always jumping up in those time increments. And actually that then makes us really predictable that we always disappear for longer and longer. And that can be panic inducing in itself. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to always be really predictable. It's muddling it up, isn't it? Yeah, they they definitely keep us on our toes uh, (laughs) (laughs) throughout their lives. In a second, we're going to talk about owners that might be listening and they already have an older dog that's a little bit anxious when they leave. But first, how long is too long to leave a dog alone? There have been studies that say that, you know, more than one in 10 dogs are left by themselves for more than five hours a day. Is that okay? How long is too long? That isn't really a clear-cut answer, is it? Because we obviously want to avoid prolonged periods of alone time for all the reasons we've discussed. And we need to consider the dog's age and their abilities and their needs. So, for example, you know, older dogs, pensioners and puppies, they're really going to struggle to hold on to their urine and feces for longer periods of time compared to a fit, healthy adult. And then we need to consider the dog's character, previous learning experiences, which can dictate which way they bounce. So using my own dogs as an example, my old Basset Hound, he could go four hours easy being out of the property. But, you know, he would have had a good walk beforehand and he'd have a tasty chew to munch on. And then literally after that, I would watch him and he'd crash out snoring. But if I compare him to my rescue Labrador, who I've had for three years now, and she's currently aged 11, she would panic even if I stepped towards the front door when I first got her. Now, thankfully, she's overcome her isolation distress, so I can go out. 
But for me personally, four hours is the maximum time I'll leave my own dogs. And for the times that I need to be out of the house for longer, for work or whatever, so five or six hours, I will always get a dog walker to come in to break up my dog's day with a good walk and a snuggle in between. So it really needs a common sense approach. And that's why I would encourage owners to tap in to the great services that we have nowadays, you know, like dog walkers, daycare, online services, you know, create your own dog walking group, sitting group with neighbors, friends, you name it, because we need to reduce the time that animals spend alone. Because there's even been research to suggest that prolonged periods of isolation can produce the same sort of effects as pain. So that's really frightening to think about that, that there's lots of animals out there that are spending long periods of time home alone. Uh, a regular dog walk has been a lifesaver uh, for me. And I think so actually likes her as much, <laughs> if not more than me. He certainly is as excited to see her as he, as he is to see me when I come home. So definitely a dog walk is a great idea. What's your, um, your rescue pup's name? Hattie. Wonderful that Hattie's overcome her separation related anxieties. What if someone listening is in a similar situation? What if they have an older dog? It does have separation related anxiety. What can they do? How can they improve things? So it is notoriously tough to treat depending on the severity of the anxiety, how long this has been going on for. Other factors to bear in mind are like health. So things like canine cognitive dysfunction, deafness or pain, that's all going to have some bearing on the animal's behavior. And, you know, if we take some dogs, they might panic just with the owners putting on their shoes or picking up the keys. Whereas, you know, for others, the dog's panic may not begin until the owner's actually out the house. So when we're looking at how do we treat it, there's not a one size fits all approach when working with owners with these issues, but they can get really good support. And that's by engaging the services of a certified animal behaviorist or veterinary behaviorist who they can work with to create a behavior modification program to help the dog overcome their fears. Now, as part of that treatment program, some dogs may need additional support in terms of behavioral medicine, or it might be pain relief, depending on the issues in the individual dog. So getting dog sitting support or other care as well is going to be important because what we want to avoid is if you're following some sort of treatment program with a certified behaviorist or vet behaviorist, but then you need to leave your dog at some point, that may create setbacks in the program. So you need to plug any gaps where you have to leave outside of a controlled setup through support of friends, family, or professional services. So yeah, there's lots they can do. So you know, I don't want people to panic and think that they can't get help, but uh, certainly it's, it's about getting the appropriate support. So anyone who is listening and they, they are worried that their dog is, you know, destroying things or barking or weeing around the house when they're gone, what would you recommend they go out and do today if possible? So there's two things. If the dog's already got a problem, they need to have a look at the Animal Behaviour and Training Council website. And on there is a register of certified 
animal behaviorists and veterinary behaviorists. And that's because this industry isn't regulated. So it's down to individuals to self-regulate and choose to go through various courses to get the level of qualifications they need to gain that knowledge and understanding, as well as have the practical handling and training skills to support owners. So we know that if they look at the Animal Behaviour and Training uh, Council's website, you're going to get practitioners who have gone through this robust process and use humane and ethical measures. If you're getting a puppy, then you need to look at certified dog trainers who can support you in teaching you how to get the best of your puppy in terms of settling them in to your house from the get-go, because that's how we can reduce that likelihood of the problems developing in the first place. Thank you so much, Hannah. That's super fascinating. And I'm really happy that we got to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. This has been The Pet Perspective by Napo Pet Insurance. You can find more things that your pet would want you to know at napo.pet.